Well, I'm glad you're here today to join us. My name is Randy. If you haven't been with us before, uh, it's great to have you in our service. And I'm excited about this new year. Uh, someone mentioned, I think it's going to be a good year. I, I really do. I'm excited about what God has in store for us, the church, as, and individuals as well. And along with the new year comes a new series. And uh, I uh, have been thinking about this for some time, and we've been introducing or kind of announcing that the series, the title of the series is called Re. And I don't know if that's a word. I, I know it's a prefix. I'm not sure if you can count it as a word or not. We're going to count it as a, real, a word because it's a, it's a big word, even if it isn't one. All right? We're going to talk about what it really means. And so to kind of introduce the idea, I never realized how many words started with R-E and how uh, impactful those words were. So I prepared a statement in advance uh, to introduce us to our topic. All right? It's a long statement. It's not just one sentence. It's, uh, it's long. Here we go. If you reflect on your relationship with Christ, you may realize and regret that you have come to resist your relentless and remarkable Lord and Savior. Perhaps you have replaced Him with religiosity, or you have resorted to a rebellious and reprehensible lifestyle. Or maybe you have rejected and replaced Him as Lord of your life, and you no longer resemble or represent Jesus as you recently did. Maybe it's time for a renaissance or renewal in your life a recommitment to relinquish control of your life, to rededicate and reaffirm your reliance on Him, and you're ready to repair and renew the relationship, then you'll no longer resist Him, but will let Him reign once more in your life, revere Him as He requires, and you can reveal Him to others who are reluctant. And then you'll be relieved and will rejoice, and one day He will reappear, you will relinquish your retired body, and He will relocate you to heaven, the place of the redeemed." All right. I told you re was a pretty big word, didn't I? I mean, it's got a lot of implications there, especially in our relationship with Christ. But what does the word re mean? Re means going back and doing something over again. It means repeating something, if you'll just use the word to define itself. And I think that's important because our decision to follow Jesus Christ is not a one-time decision. It is not something you decide to do and then you're done and you do something else the rest of your life. Instead, following Jesus is, is one a decision we have to repeat and reaffirm daily. And our relationship with Christ can slip and become less passionate over time. And, and if you don't realize that, then you're, you're missing the obvious, to be honest with you. That we can be right with God and close with God at one point in our life, and then we can kind of slide away from Him. Some call it backsliding, whether it's slipping away, whatever you want to call it. We all know that feeling, right? And I was talking to a friend a while back about their spiritual life, and they admitted that they were not as on fire as they had once been. Uh, they still love the Lord. We all know that is true, right? We love the Lord, but spiritual, spiritual disciplines have become less important. And, and habits like church attendance have become irregular and sporadic. And they admitted and put into words what I'd been thinking, that, that what they needed was a revival. A revival. You know, that's an old word, isn't it? I, I remember that from my childhood. But what they, what they said sparked in my mind, that's what I need too. I believe that's what we need. I believe that's what America needs. I think that's what the world needs. The world needs a revival. We all need that in our heart and lives, right? Now, I remember I grew up in the days of revivals when we actually had meetings that we called revivals, and the early ones were two weeks long. Now, guys, some of you cannot fathom this, but for two solid weeks, we went to church every night. 
I know that would blow your mind. There's no way we could do that today, right? But we did that. We had a visiting evangelist. We had musicians that came and traveled and everything. And it was powerful. They really were. They weren't always what we hoped they might be, but they were still powerful. And many of them were evangelistic in nature. The messages would be addressed to people who needed to come to know the Lord. We were challenged to fill a pew, a sign to fill a pew, invite our neighbor, invite our family. But you know what they also did is they challenged us personally to be re revived ourselves, to recommit our own lives to Christ and live a more fruitful life and faithful life. Now, because of busy schedules, those things kind of have gone the way in the past. There are a few churches every now and then that you hear about, but, but most churches don't have revivals as such. But that doesn't mean that we can't have a revival in our hearts and minds in the life of our church. And you know what? Revivals have an incredible history in our country. I was doing some study on this, and uh, historians note five separate revivals that can be identified in the history of the U.S. The first is called the First Great Awakening. It was in the 1730s and 40s in the colonies. We weren't even a country then, but revival swept through the area. And it was in the colonies, also in England as well. And great preachers like Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. It was a hellfire and brimstone message where he talked about how that God held sinners like spiders on webs over hell and was about to release them. It was pretty moving and pretty motivating. That was the first great awakening. And the second great awakening was in the 1820s and uh, through the 50s throughout America and England again. Preachers like Charles Finney, he spoke against anti-slavery and temperance movements and against the evils of, uh, of addiction and of slavery, of course. And then the third great awakening was in the 1875 through 85, a man named Dwight L. Moody up in Chicago began preaching and led a revival and kind of opened up the world to the Sunday school movement and uh, education of people in the Word of God. The fourth revival was that identified was in 1906 to 1915 called the Azusa Street Revival. And it was out in Los Angeles in a church, and it was the birth of the Pentecostal movement and the beginning of the speaking in tongues in, uh, uh, in the modern church. And then the fifth revival was a 20th century revival in 1910 through the 1970s, and beginning in Los Angeles and New York, began with a man named Billy Sunday, who was a shoe salesman, became an evangelist, baptized a man named Billy Graham, who went on to lead many, many worldwide revivals, stadium events, thousands of people who came to hear the Word of God, and revivals were held like that. Now, I share that idea of revival because that has happened, and there have been many, many more. There was a businessman's revival where it began in Chicago, where every day at noon, all the businessmen would leave the, their work and go, and they would go to churches, and it would fill the churches, and their revival broke out. Various others as well. But I want to mention one in particular that was held close to us that's important to us. In the 1800s, 1801, there's a revival up in Cane Ridge, Kentucky, which is just north of us up in Bourbon County. In fact, the site is still pretty intact up there. Um, that um, 20,000 people, which at that point was about 10% of the population of the entire state of Kentucky, if you can imagine that, came together for a several-week camp meeting, which then birthed a movement of Christians only. It's where the independent Christian churches of which we're a part of actually found its origin and beginning. And believers came together from all different denominations. They gathered there on the campgrounds at Cambridge, and, and there were preachers preaching all over the place on a wagon bed, on a rock, on a stump. 
They were all preaching. They all dropped denominational ties and, and titles and took the Bible as their only rule of faith and doctrine. It sparked what we call the restoration movement of which we're a part. And that's pretty incredible that our church came from that revival setting and that kind of background. That's important. And then also we have another connection that locally Asbury University has experienced several revivals breaking out. In fact, some say as many as eight or ten in the last 100 years. The largest one probably was in, uh, I think, 1970, so it's about 50 years ago. And that revival broke out, and it uh, was sparked in chapel services and lasting for several days. Now, I think all of us would love to see that happen, and we all think to ourselves, we would love to see um, the church be revived. We would love to see revival come to our country, to our world. But you know what? Just because we say we're going to do that, I've planned many revivals back in the day, it doesn't mean it always happens. Sometimes it turns out to be just a good time of getting together, but it doesn't always spark the kind of revival that we want it to do. And the reason for that is because revival is not something we create. Even if we plan it, even if we say we're going to do it, it, it's not something we create. Revival comes to the Holy Spirit. Whether it be individual or corporate, whether it be in my heart, whether it be in our church, in America, the Holy Spirit is the one who sparks that. And so a part of what we need to do is understand that we need to surrender to Him. We need to open our hearts up to let the Spirit move in us and work in us. Nobody totally understands how the Holy Spirit works and moves. But there are some things that we can do personally to prepare our hearts to receive and experience revival. And that's what I want us to do today and, and the next couple of weeks here. I want us to prepare ourselves for what the Spirit might do in us. And I believe what we'll find is that even though we may not spark a worldwide revival, that would be awesome if we could do that right here, wouldn't it? We may not spark that here, but we can spark revival in our hearts, and we can allow God to do some things in us and change us in ways that, that are just going to be remarkable. So that's what I encourage you to do over the next three or four weeks. We're going to be focusing on this and then we're going to talk about what, that, what the implications are in our life once we uh, have really connected uh, deeper with God. Today we're going to begin that by talking about a reword, and that word is remember. The word remember. And we're going to talk about how important remembering really is. Now for those of us who are here today who have never given their lives to Christ and, and really don't have any experience or any memory of that, I want you to know that you're going to find immeasurable value and just hearing what God can do in someone's life. And if you want to know the difference, just ask someone, what does Jesus mean to you? And they will share what, that, what, what their memories are and what they remember. But for those of us who have personally made a decision to follow Christ, but have to admit that we're not where we used to be, and we're not where we would like to be in our relationship with Him, it's going to be a time for us to look back in our past and see what God has done and also see what a good God He really is. What an awesome God He is and what He has done for us and remember those things. And to also remind ourselves of what we have once had in our life and how that we can regain that. Do you see how many times re comes up? It just amazes me and when I think about this. I know I'm a word person. That's kind of weird, I know. But, but we can regain that. Sometimes we just need to reflect on our past and remember to keep our relationships right. You know, I was thinking about this the other day uh, because all of our relationships require this. For example, in marriage. You know, sometimes when you've been married a long time, you need to think back and remember why you got married. You need to remember that because, you know, time can make us forget and it can wear our connection thin, right? 
Sometimes we need to remember why we got married, what we loved about that person, why we chose to make them our spouse. It's kind of what anniversaries are all about. It's why once a year you need to celebrate an anniversary. It's kind of what rings are all about, right? Rings remind us of why we got married. You know, if you follow Lori on Facebook, she posted a picture on Christmas Day and, uh, of me saying, he said yes. Uh, we've been married for over 37 years, almost 38, be 38 years in, in May. And uh, whenever we got married, we didn't have any money much. Um, and so we had really, really cheap rings. And I've replaced hers a couple of times because uh, that's more important to women than it is to men, right? But I, every time I would insist, no, I want to keep my ring, my ring. Uh, I'm, I'm cheap for one thing, but I'm a little bit sentimental too, you know? But I had this one ring I wore for over 37 years. And since it was kind of a cheap ring, it wore pretty quick. In fact, it got so worn that it was like a knife. And if I would push it the wrong way, it would cut my knuckle. So I've got scars on my knuckle of where my ring cut it. You know, I'd have to, you know, put it, I can't put a Band-Aid there either. So I would, I would have to do that. And finally, I, I stopped wearing it for a, a little while. And on Christmas Day, Lori got me a beautiful ring. And, uh, and so I thought that was kind of cool. It, it's super thick. I don't think I'll ever wear it out. I will die first. But, but that's why we do that. That's why we wear rings, to remind ourselves of why we got married. You know, a similar thing is true with our children. Sometimes our kids can wear us out. But we need to stop sometime and just say, you know what? This is why we wanted kids. This is why children are important. We need to affirm our love for them and remember why we had them. And friends are the same way, you know. What do friends mean to us? Sometimes we kind of forget and we take our friends for granted. And we need to remember why they are important people in our life. You see, remembering brings the things that are important to us back to mind. We like to reminisce on the past. For example, a smell might remind us of some, something, some experience or some person. Or maybe we start telling stories and we reminisce uh, on things that, uh, that, we've, that we uh, experienced once in the past. Remembering is a special gift that God's given us. There's no doubt about it. You know, in fact, uh, whenever someone loses their memories, maybe in an accident, amnesia, or an illness like Alzheimer's that robs a person of their memories. That's one of the saddest things that can happen to someone when you lose the memory of an important event or something that, that meant a lot to you. Remembering is important, especially when it comes to what God has done in our lives. It's the most important thing to remember. Remember that God has been in our life. No human relationship is anywhere near as important as the relationship that we have with God. And so oftentimes we need to stop and remember why we need God and why we responded to the love of God. Because not only is remembering important to us, it's important to God as well. In fact, all throughout the Bible, God set up ways for us to remember what he has done for us. All throughout the Old Testament, when God would move on behalf of his people, he would have them erect a stone pillar or an altar of some sort and they, uh, uh, to, to remember what had happened at that place. And then later on down the road, when people had mostly forgotten or generations had passed, they would see the stone and they would say, remember what God has done. It would be a reminder to them of God's faithfulness and God's care in their life. Or God would establish a feast for them. Uh, to remember what he had done for his people at a specific time. The Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Passover. Every year, do this to remember what God has done because remembering is important to God. Now, why does God want us to remember? Well, number one, I think it's because we're all prone to forget. 
We're all prone to, to move on and, and find something shiny and new to grab our attention and forget the important thing that God's done in our life. But remembering is also important because remembering God's faithfulness from the past allows us to trust Him in the present. Remembering God's faithfulness in the past allows us to trust Him in the present. You see, if I needed God in the past, I need Him today too. My salvation, I continued to work it out with fear and trembling is what the Bible says. My salvation was finished by Jesus, but my life continues on to live that out daily. I need him today. I need to be walking with him today as much as I needed him when I desperately knew it back then. I need him today as well. You know, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 7, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, Moses had brought the people of Israel to the edge of the promised land. And it was familiar because they had been there almost 40 years before. Moses had led them out of Egypt. Shortly after that, went to the desert came to the edge of the promised land. They looked over the Jordan River. They spied it out. If you remember, they refused to go in because they were afraid. And they went back and wandered for 40 years. And now they were back again, and, and they were about to take the land. Moses was not going to get to go with them. Remember the story. Moses had been disobedient to God at a cru crucial point, And God said, I'm sorry, Moses, you can't go. Joshua will lead the people in. But the Jewish people were afraid. They were afraid because, once again, they were reminded of the fear that they had and the intimidation of the enemy, the people of, of the land of Cana. And Moses knew they were doubting themselves, and they, they were afraid they couldn't take the land. So here's what he said. He said, you may say to yourselves, these nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? But do not be afraid of them. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. You saw with your own eyes the great trials the signs and wonders, the mighty hand and outstretched arm with which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all the people you now fear. Moses said, remember the signs and miracles. Remember the, the 10 plagues is what he's talking about, that God did, the miracles that made the Egyptians free you. Remember the final one, the death that came to all those who were not, didn't have the blood on the doorpost. Remember how God was faithful and know that God will be faithful to you in the moment. Let me ask you today, what do you need to remember from your past? If you're a child of God, if you're a believer, what do you need to remember? Maybe the day that you realized that you were helpless to save yourself. Maybe the burden that you felt of sin uh, on your life and the freedom that you experienced when you let that go. And I want to tell you, if you have experienced that, you know what I'm talking about. You know the burden. You know the reason why you gave your life to Christ. And you know that whenever you did that, you felt this release, this freedom from sin. Maybe it was your baptism that you remember. You know, I spoke of those revivals a few moments ago. I was baptized in one of those two-week-long revivals in 1971, which has been a while, all right? I remember walking forward. I remember making my confession of Jesus Christ that evening. I remember riding, our preacher had a VW bug. I remember riding in that bug, for some reason we rode with them, to the farm lake that we used to baptize. And it was dark. Uh, they had a, a real cool thing they did. They had a, a cross that was uh, made out of wood, and it had candles on it, and they floated this cross out in the water. I remember that so clearly, almost 50 years ago. I, I hate to admit that, but I remember that clearly. I remember going into the water for several reasons. I was afraid of water. That's one reason why I remember it. And, uh, and I trolled my ears, but I, you know what? I did that anyway. <laughs> I remember being baptized and coming up out of that water. I remember that. That was significant. 
Maybe it was a time of recommitment of your life to Jesus Christ. I remember several years after that, in another revival meeting, I remember as a teenager realizing that I was not living the way I should and going up and recommitting my life to Christ. I remember the shirt I had on that night a long time ago. But I remember those things. And you know what? Those memories are anchor points in my mind as to who I am today and the hope I have in Jesus Christ. I don't ever want to, rem- I don't ever want to forget those moments. All of us need those kind of memories. You don't have to remember what you had on that day, but you really need to remember that day. And if you have been obedient to Christ, then you need to recall that. If you have not been obedient to him or you don't remember any of that, then you need to reexamine that. You really, really do. You know, if you remember uh, almost nothing about your conversion, that's, that's, that's not good, all right? You know, if you don't remember being baptized, you need to be baptized. Some might say, well, I was baptized as an infant or a child. My mom and dad told me that. You know, baptism is an immersion of a repentant believer. It's a decision that we make, decide to do. We need to be able to remember that, to to experience that and anchor ourselves in that part of our life. We need to be able to remember how we were lost and now that we're saved. Because God is faithful God will save you. God will always be there for you. And we know that because we rem- when we remember what he's done in the past, now we have confidence to trust him in the present. But the second thing that we, that, that's important about remembering is that remembering God's faithfulness in the past directs our activities in the future. And that is we don't just live for today or the past. We live into the future. And that's what we're all kind of worried about, to be honest with you. We can't relive the past but it's the future that we're concerned about. Again, in the Old Testament, David was a young shepherd boy. He guarded the flocks. He went to see his brothers one day who were fighting against the Philistine army. And this is one of the famous stories about David, little David. The champion of the Philistines that day was a giant named Goliath. And he came out every morning to challenge any of the uh, Israelites to come out and fight him one-on-one. And David was amazed because when he heard this, he assumed people would be lining up to take on the giant, but nobody stepped forward. And so David stepped forward. And everybody thought he was crazy. There's no way a little shepherd boy inexperienced in battle could take on a a giant named Goliath or anything else. And the king Saul calls him in, and he tries to talk to this young man. But here's what David says to Saul. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. See, David said, I got experience with God, and I remember what God has done, how faithful he has been. There's no way I could defeat a lion or bear on my, on my own, but God helped me do it. There's no way I can defeat this guy on my own, but God will help me do it. He will be faithful. And because of that courage and that experience, he marched out to meet the giant, and the rest is history, right? But David remembered how faithful God had been. He knew he could be trusted even when the odds were stacked against him. Let me ask you this. What do you need to remember to be assured that God will take care of you in the future? What experiences do you need to remember to know God's faithfulness? You know, maybe it's not just your salvation. Maybe it's your marriage. 
Maybe your marriage is in bad shape or it's struggling and you don't think there's any hope for it. Would you remember the vows that you made, the ones that said for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health? And the vow you made believing that God would help you get through that, that God would, would help you keep those vows? Now, maybe time has marked that mar- your marriage with some, some scars. Maybe those vows have been stretched. Maybe those vows have been broken in some maybe Maybe you failed. But you know what? The same God that enabled you to make those vows is the same God that will help you keep those vows and restore them and make your marriage honoring to him and joyful to you once again. You can do that. Your future, your marriage's future can be assured and hopeful. Maybe it's a wayward child that you've been praying for. You know, the Bible says if you train up a child in the way he should go, when they're old, they will not depart from it. Maybe you're struggling about a child that you invested in, and you weren't perfect, no parent is, but you did your best, and you tried to lead them to know the Lord, and now it seems like they're not walking with the Lord. And you're hurting, and you're worried, you're fearful about that. Keep on praying for them. Pursue that child. Trust that God will be faithful, though. Have hope for the future. Because what God promises, God will be faithful in delivering. Or maybe you have a sense of despair and doubt about the future of your life. Maybe you're not very encouraged about this new decade that lies before you, the new year. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you think nobody cares for you. Maybe you believe that God doesn't care about your future. Let me remind you what he says in Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Do not despair. Do not despair. Maybe you need to hear that word. I want to tell you, I'm one of those people that has a little bit of that seasonal, I think, seasonal depression. Anybody have that? A little bit of that? Or maybe it's more than seasonal. But I have some of that. There are moments, not all the time, but every now and then, for me, it's when I first wake up, there is that moment of like, wow, I don't know, not so hopeful right this moment. Maybe that's you. This is the time of year it always hits me when I go into the dark time of of the seasons, you know. You need to be reminded that God has a plan for you, that you are, if you are God's child and you're walking with him, he has a purpose and a plan for your life. It's not just you getting by. It's God using you in a great way. Be encouraged. Do not despair. Do not be discouraged about that or this time of year. But don't do it alone either. Remember that God's plan involves you trusting in him and leaning on him and responding to the call on your life. And the closer you are to him, the more likely you are to experience his plan and to know what he wants for your life and to have that inner joy. Or maybe you're here and you got to where you are today by making poor choices. In fact, you can't think of a lot of good choices you've made in your life. And they've kind of brought you to a place where you don't have a lot of great memories about your past. Maybe you never had a hope or a relationship with Christ. But here's the great news that all is not lost. In fact, your past has only brought you to a place where you understand now that there's a God who loves you, who's reaching out to you, who longs to have a relationship with you. God is waiting for you to reach out to him and accept his help. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. If you want to invoke and call upon all the good that God has for your life, then you need to be one who responds to his call. 
and who walks with him, who seeks his will for your life and get him into your life. It's kind of like we talked about a few moments ago about finances. If you struggle with finances, it probably is because God doesn't have a big hand in that. Because when God is in your heart and leading you, you will have financial peace. You will trust him. He will not make you a millionaire a lot more than likely, but he will help you be content. He will help you manage what you have. But you have to invite him into your life, into your decisions. And even though you may have made some poor decisions in your past, starting today, the decisions that you make will determine your memories tomorrow. Can I just repeat that? The decisions that you make today will determine your memories tomorrow. God has a plan for your life that you're going to miss. You're going to miss your, his blessings if you don't listen to him. And today, you need to act so you can experience his blessings and create an anchor point in your life that you can remember for the rest of your life. And it doesn't matter how old you are. You might be a young person, middle-aged. You might be a senior adult. But today could be the day that you begin a new relationship with Christ that you will remember for the rest of your life and into eternity. That is the most important thing. Now, since remembering is important, and yet we oftentimes forget, how do we remember to remember? Isn't that the hard part sometimes? When Lori sends me to the store, if she has me to get three things, I got it. Three things, I got. Four things, ain't happening. I mean, I'm going to forget at least one of them for something. That fourth one makes me lose track of the third one. I don't know why. So you know what I have to do? I have to write it down. To write it on paper, print it on my phone, do something. I got to have some way to acknowledge that. And that's kind of what we said a few moments ago. In Joshua chapter 3, the Israelites were crossing that Jordan River, we mentioned a few moments ago, to, to take the land that God had promised them. And God had stopped the flow of the water by having the priests to walk out into the, the river there with the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. And when they did that, the water dammed up. It stopped. And they walked over on dry land. And whenever they crossed to the other side, God told them, to go back and pick up 12 stones from the middle of the river and stack them up and make an altar on the, on the shoreline. And that would be to remind them of what God had done that day. It was a word picture. They wrote it down. When God does something faithful in your life, you need to record it in some way. You need to write it down or find some way of recording his actions so you will never, ever forget. You know, we encourage people to write down your story, your, your conversion story, what we call your testimony. The second thing we have to do is we need to tell it to other people. It's not just enough to write something down and record it. You have to tell other people about it. That was the purpose of the altar. So when people walk by and say, hey, what that's about, they would say, oh, that's where God did this great miracle and brought his people over and gave them the land. That's important to have it recorded and tell people about it. Why? So that other generations will know. And they don't have to repeat the same mistakes that you've made so that they can go right to God without having to go through the same thing. We can learn from other people's mistakes and we can avoid making the same mistakes ourselves again or prevent others from making the same mistakes that we've made. Again, this is called our testimony. And we need to both write it down and tell other people about it as well. Let me just ask you this, parents. Have you ever told your children about your conversion experience? Have you ever talked to your kids about the point in, the, in your life when you said, I know I need to give my life to Jesus? And kind of walk them through that, especially if your child has not made that decision. 
This is one way that we lead them is we tell them our testimony and we teach them through us sharing what we've experienced. It's a powerful influence in their life. And we need to write it down, remember it, and tell other people. Also know that God is going to be faithful. He's always going to come through. Sometimes I think we're a little bit questionable about God and we don't trust God enough and so we're afraid to brag on Him too much so we don't get let down or get embarrassed by people. But let me tell you, God is faithful. God will not let us down. If we trust Him, we will experience His faithfulness in ways that will remind us in the present and the future. We'll be empowered for the moment and we'll have hope going forward. You know, I think oftentimes about my conversion. I I think about it a lot. But I also think about how God has shown up in my life, how God has been faithful time after time, and the things I have learned from Him. And those experiences help me trust Him for tomorrow. Now that I know that He's on my side, I am confident in Him. Let me give you an example of this. I may have shared this before, but you know, having four kids and one salary, we lived like that for many years. Uh, Lori stayed home with the kids, but it made money scarce for us for many years. And so because of that, we got a really late start on saving for retirement. Really late start. And I worried about that for a long, long time. But I also had a more immediate worry. Because remember, I had four kids and three daughters. And if you got daughters, you know there's a big event that happens in their 20s normally that's pretty significant that's going to cost you some bang, some money, right? And that's weddings. I tell you, I can worry. I can find things to worry about. I worried about that. How in the world are we going to pay for weddings for our kids? Now, we believe in a modest budget for a wedding, and our kids were awesome about that. But even with that, I couldn't imagine saving that three times or four times for our kids because I wanted to give my son the same thing. I couldn't imagine how that was going to happen. But you know what? God solved that. At just the right time, God brought an opportunity to me to have a very flexible part-time job that was also very profitable and was very enjoyable, and which gave me some of the best memories of my adult life, some awesome memories that I look back and I reflect on the people that I love and that I spent a lot of time with in those days. But it was so flexible that it worked out, and I was able to save the money for the weddings, able to save the money up because we were careful once we got it. We saved it. But you know what? When the need went away, the job went away. God provided, God gave, and then God knew I didn't need to be doing that indefinitely. And so God, and it wasn't killing people, by the way. It was a, it was a <laughs> respectable job. Some of you go, what was the job? Anyway. But you know what I did? I saw God's providence in that. I saw God's hand in, in making it available. And now whenever I get anxious about retirement, whatever that might look like somewhere down the road, if ever, I remember that God was faithful. God was faithful. And God will always be faithful to provide for our needs because I want to be His. I want to be in Him, secure in Him. I want to be living and walking with Him. And so today, as you think back about what God's done in your past, I hope you remember His faithfulness. Because in doing so, it will allow you to trust Him in the present and in the future. Now, there are three action steps I want to challenge you to do to remember what God has done for you and to prepare yourself for God to bring revival into your heart. Three things I want to challenge you to do. First of all, get into His Word. You are not going to experience 
renewal in your heart and revival until you are in the Word of God. There's just nothing else. We're, it just, our, our world is not conducive to that. It's not going to just be all around us. We've got to surround ourselves with the Word. Out in the lobby, there is a, a one-year reading plan of reading through the Bible chronologically. I've started mine. We're only five days behind. You're all right. You can catch up. I want to encourage you. Get into the Word. Hear from God on a daily basis. It's not burdensome. Ten minutes a day at the most, you can read through the Bible in a year and you can hear from God. That's important. Number two, prayer. Revival always is preceded by prayer. Always by prayer. I encourage you to take that time along with your Bible reading and pray. Spend time in prayer with God. But also, we want to do that corporately. And so we're going to begin starting this month what we're calling Second Sunday Prayer. 6 p.m., second Sunday of the month. That means next Sunday night, 6 p.m., we're going to be meeting here with corporate prayer. And guess what we're going to pray for? Revival. All right? So we invite you to come, be a part of that. We're going to provide child care. Uh, you'll get some information about that. We want to have you come and share, and we just want to pray corporately for prayer. And then thirdly is community. Revival occurs when we're together. It always does when people get together. And we believe community is an important part of that. And we have community on Sunday morning, but it's not as interactive as it could be. So we encourage you to be involved in a group, in a journey group. You can get involved in a group. You can go online and you can sign up there for a group and you'll get placed uh, into one. We have a lot of groups already going. Our groups are going to kind of echo this study um, uh, following the serve. We'll talk tomorrow night or whenever you meet about Remember. And so if you've never been in a group, you can do that. Get online, sign up, that'll go to Tony, and he'll get you connected in a group. Now, let me tell you, if you're a believer, there's three ways to start opening your life up to some freshness in your life. And each of them, I think, are important. Now, if you're here today and you don't have any experience trusting in God, if you've never given your life to Christ, or you have a decision that you know you need to make, your next step on your journey, then I want to invite you to make that decision today. I'm going to be up front. I'll be over here. Tony will be on the other side during our time of communion. And we want to just invite you to come up and share with us in that time. We're about to go into our communion uh, observance. We do every Sunday. This is the time for us to, of all things, remember what Jesus has done for us. And it fits in perfectly, obviously, because we want to recall what Christ has given to us, his life on the cross, so that we can have a relationship with him. We do it every Sunday because that's not too often to remember what he has done. There was a piece of bread, a cup of juice that we invite you to take, and we'll come forward and circle back to our seats. If you prefer to stay where you are, raise your hand. One of our deacons will serve you there. We also have got on each of the tables a little baggie with uh, some gluten-free. We won't talk about it every week, but I'll just tell you that it's there. It's available if you uh, have that uh, challenge in your life, that health issue. Uh, we want to make it easy for you to be able to take communion as well. Right now, I'm going to ask if you would to bow with me. And I want to just leave you a little bit of space, just a real short time. And I want to challenge you to remember just for a few seconds. Remember what Jesus has done for you, and then we'll go into time of closure. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to you for giving us Jesus. And in a moment as we share in this time of communion, God, we, just, we do want to recall your love 
Christ's sacrifice. And Lord, may these uh, simple emblems remind us of the body and the blood of Jesus that was given for us. And Lord, for each of us today who are believers, God, remind us of your incredible love and your faithfulness. God, remind us of the day that we realized that and that we made a commitment to give you control of our lives, to follow Jesus, to accept him as our Lord and Savior. And Father, if maybe someone would be a believer but couldn't recall that moment, that time of commitment or that time, their baptism, Lord, I pray that you would just challenge them to to freshen that up, to re-experience that in some way, Lord, that that would be a new memory, could be added to their their past. Lord, for those here today who have never given their life to Christ, God, I, I pray that they've just seen the significance of what God can give and add to a life and the hope that we can have in Him and that, Lord, uh, they would want that for themselves. So, God, may this be a time of response, a time of renewal, a time of, of, of recommitment, or a time of decision for us. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.